0: Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. So today, on Father's Day, I wanna to talk to fathers, but really to everybody, about skills, attitudes, and mindsets. Um, I was with a pastor friend uh, a few years ago and he had a phone call and and he was talking to this man about his marriage. And and he says, uh, he said, you just need some new tools in your toolbox to take care of the situation that you have in your family. Right. And so I kind of want to talk to you guys about having some tools in your toolbox. Right. In Ecclesiastes 10, it says this, if the ax is dull, and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. Wisdom brings success. Now, we're going to go to the book of Philippians, which is one of the letters that Paul wrote to a church that he started. His first church he started in Europe on his second missionary journey. And this church had helped him financially as he was going out and planning other churches. And now he's in prison Right. He is he is going to be he's been in prison for a couple of years. Right. He's going to be going before the emperor who most likely is going to be sentencing him to death. Right. And so he's writing this church and and he's going to give them some skills really that they need skills, attitudes, mindsets. And, And here's what I found interesting basically the same skills that were needed for success in life. 2,000 years ago, they're the exact same skills we need today. It hasn't changed, right? So Philippians chapter four is where we're going to be. And starting with the second verse, he says, I implore Yodea and I implore Syntechi, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companions, help these women who labor with me in the gospel. He mentions with Clement also. Um, Clement is referred to in church history as Clement of Rome. Uh, Many people believe he was the author of the book of Hebrews. And the rest of my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul is talking about people that are in a leadership position. Right, and he says we've got these two ladies that are in, that are leaders in the church. So anybody who has problems with leaders in the church, sorry, it is in the Bible, right? And both Persuilla and Aquila are both called apostles, man and wife team, right? But he says, look, these two ladies have got some problems with each other, right? And in fact, I, I originally called this particular section of the message relationship skills, but my assistant misspelled it and she put relationship kills. Now, listen, if you don't have good people skills, it will kill relationships. It will literally kill relationships, right? So he's got two leaders and these two leaders are having problems with each other. And what he's saying, he says, you need to be able to get along with people And you need to be able to help other people get along with people, right? And when there is strife, relationships do not grow. And you need to have growing strong relationships. Sometimes you need to forgive. Sometimes it's just necessary to see something from another person's perspective. But listen, no matter how smart you are, no matter how gifted you are, if you cannot get along with other people, it will limit the impact that you're going to have. It will limit it. All right. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, it should affect the relationship that you have with others. Now, how powerful is unity? There is strength in unity, right? But there is danger where there's strife. Danger comes through strife, but strength comes through unity. Of course, in Psalms 133, it talks about unity. And this is what it says. It says, there the Lord commands the blessing. There is a spiritual blessing on unity. So he's got these two leaders that are having problems. Now, when leaders have problems, people choose sides. Now, in your home, when a husband and a wife do not get along together, do you know what you're doing? You're forcing your kids to choose sides you're letting strife instead of unity into the home and strife brings danger and unity brings blessing and strength in Genesis chapter 11 in verse 16, the people are beginning to build the tower of Babel in rebellion against God. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they have one language in this that they have begun to do. Now, nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. And I'm just saying, look, because they're in unity, right? Because they're in unity, they're going to be able to do everything that they want to do that's in their hearts to do. So uh, I I read this a while back and and, uh, actually took this quote out of a book. But what happens is this, there was a a contest, it was in Canada, a competition that had some huge Clydesdale horses. Now these were not Bud Light horses, right? Because if they were, I would, I would be boycotting this thing right here, all right. But these were just regular big old Clyde horses, all right? And they hitched each one to a special sled, all right? And the horse that won was able to pull 8,000 pounds. And the second place horse pulled 7,000 pounds. And just to see what would happen, they took the two of them and hooked them together and let the two of them pull. And immediately, well, I thought, well, it's going to be 15,000 pounds. But together, get this, they pulled 33,000 pounds. You know, the synergy that took place when, pe- when they, these just two horses were working together. Well, it's true when it comes to people. The Bible says one will chase 1,000, but two will chase 10,000 when there's unity. Uh, in the book of Genesis, the 13th chapter, we find Abraham who is the father of the faith. And the Bible actually tells us to follow the faith of Abraham. Well, he has his nephew with him, Lot. Now, God is blessing Abraham, and Lot gets blessed just by hanging around Abraham, just by being next to Abraham. He's getting blessed. And to the degree that the Bible says they both had so much cattle, their, their herds were so large they couldn't even be together. So Abraham comes to Lot and he said, please let there be no strife between you and me. So notice that Abraham is doing everything he can to avoid strife. And I'm going to say this. The greater person is always the one that takes the first step to move away from strife and division. So he said, let's not have strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. He said, the whole land's before you. He said, please separate from me. And if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt that goes down to Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan, and he journeyed east. And he separated, they separated from each other. Now, what, what happened is this. Lot chose the valley that was green and beautiful, and Abraham turned and went out into the desert. Now, the interesting thing is who gets blessed? Abraham gets blessed. Listen what happens. And the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him, right? Do you know, you can just have the wrong company, and it can, where there's strife, and it will keep the blessing of God from you. But as soon, as that strife was dealt with, right? As soon as they separated, God said, hey, you just take a look and everything you see is yours. I'm giving it to you and to your descendants. In Proverbs 6 and verse 23, listen to this. It says, the commandment is a lamp and the law a light and the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep you from. Now it mentions the evil woman. How many of you know there's some evil men? And how many of you know there's some stupid men? And there's some stupid women. I mean, that may be a little too blunt for you, but, but it's just, it is the truth. Right? Now, the Bible is here saying that what the Word of God is going to do is going to give you the wisdom to know who you should be around and who you should separate from. Right? It will keep you from now, I want to say this. There's always grace when it comes to your family. Right? You may have somebody in your family that is just living a total ungodly life. And, and literally, you've, you've had to separate from him. You say, look, you can't live like that and stay in my home. But you know what? The prodigal son went and went into a terrible lifestyle. But his father kept on looking. His father was ready and willing to help as soon as his son took a turn. And you always have grace when it comes to your family. Right? But um, I, I was thinking about the unity and how getting along with people, and how it's part of the gifts of the Spirit. But when they made the priest's garment in the Bible, it says on the bottom of that garment, there was a bell. There were 50 bells. And in between every bell was a pomegranate. Now, the bells represent the power of the Spirit of God. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. It talks about the power of God. But that pomegranate, it represents the fruit of the Spirit of God. The love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness. How many of you know we need the fruit of the Spirit? But we also need the power of the spirit. We need both of them. And so many are just looking one way or the other. Now in that same tabernacle, they had what was referred to as the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, we've got a, a basically a picture of what it looked like to, right? Now it's a box. It's got a lid on it inside of the 10 commandments, right? The priest would come in one time a year with blood and would sprinkle it on the lid, the mercy seat. And above the mercy seat are these two angels, and they've got their wings out, and they're touching. Right? And God said, my presence will be in between the mercy seat and the angel's wings. He said, I'll meet with you there. Right? So the presence of God is there. The blood is there. And the angel's wings touch each other. You say, what does that symbolize? That symbolizes that when you're in God's presence and your life is under the blood, you get along with people. You can touch people. In 1 John, it says, if we walk in the light like he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, right? So when, when, when we're under the blood and we're in God's presence, we're, we're literally, we're walking with God, we enjoy fellowship with one another. In Ephesians 4 and verse 3, it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I want to just say this. It's not always easy to get along with everybody. How many of you found that out? He says, you need to endeavor. Other translations, you need to work at this. All right? It's not going to be easy, but you need to walk in unity with, bro- with our brothers and sisters in Christ. All right? so, so we need to have relationship skills. But then in the fourth verse, the apostle talks to us about emotional skills. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Now, 16 times in this little book, he talks about rejoicing. I would just kind of say this, that the foundational emotion in the kingdom of God is joy. It is the foundational emotion. The kingdom of God, it's not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, get this. He has been in prison for two years. Then they put him on a ship. They're sending him to Rome. They end up in a hurricane. They shipwreck. He gets snake bit. He finally gets to Rome. And now he's a prisoner waiting to go before the the, the emperor who's going to sentence him to death. All right. And what does he say? Rejoice. Now, maybe you say, hey, if I was facing death, I wouldn't be rejoicing. It's not how you feel. Right. Right. In fact, the Bible talks about continually offering the sacrifice of praise, right? You're going to praise God. You're going to be joyful even when you don't feel like it. Jesus said this in John 14. He said, let not your heart be troubled. King James, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Listen, we live in a society that believes that you should let your life be directed by your feelings. This is how I feel. That's the way it is. Listen, your feelings change, right? And, and you can have whatever feelings you want to have, but they don't change reality. Right? If I feel like a girl, that does not make me a girl. A thousand years from now, If they were to dig up my bones and I I feel like a girl, they, they will just take one cell and you know what they will say? You are a boy. And how I feel does not change. Drugs that I take do not change that. Operations that I have do not change that. Something they put in my body or take out of my body does not change that. How you feel does not change reality, right? And Jesus said, do not let your feelings direct your life. Don't do it right? because your feelings will change and your feelings are not reality. They are what you feel, but they don't change facts, right? See, your identity is not in how you feel. Your identity is in Christ. I love what the Apostle Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, I know a man in Christ. When he said, who am I? He said, I'm in Christ. I'm in union with him. And if you want to know who you are, you're going to have to go to the Bible because it's going to tell you who you are in Christ, what you have in Christ, what you can do in Christ and your future in Christ. It's not how you feel. You are in union with him. The Bible says in Philippians 1.25, the joy of faith. You know, when you're in faith, you're in joy. You say, yeah, but all these problems are going on. Yeah, but you're looking not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. In, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1, Paul said this, Therefore, since we have this ministry and have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Other translations say, We do not get discouraged. Well, here he is. He's been in prison. He's been whipped. He's been stoned left for dead. And he said, we don't get discouraged. Now, I want to talk to you a minute. The worst thing that could happen to you, you're a Christian. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? You die and go to heaven. Oh, we've been singing about it. One glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. and We're happy. The doctor says, Oh, you have cancer, you might die. Ah!" You should kiss him. Praise the Lord. I'm going to go see Jesus. Listen, this is what Paul said Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul's not saying there's not problems, there's not difficulties, there's not opposition. He just calls it light affliction. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen for the things that are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And I got to thinking light affliction. What are you talking about? Well, he tells us, all right, he says this. He says, I was in labors more abundant in stripes above measure in prison more frequently, in deaths often, of the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now they literally they took your sandals off and beat the bottom of your feet until they broke bones. Three times, beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, left for dead. Three times I've been shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep in journeys often in perils of water perils of robbers perils of my own countrymen perils of the gentiles perils in the city perils in the wilderness perils in the sea perils among false brothers, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often in hunger and in thirst in fastings often in cold and in nakedness and besides all these other things there comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches our light affliction he said which is but for a moment in prison stone left for dead 5 times 39 stripes Three times beaten with rods, shipwrecked out in the ocean. You name it. Paul went through it. What did he call it? Our light affliction. And what did he say? Rejoice. You don't look very convinced. Paul is telling you whatever you're going through, it is nothing. It's nothing compared to the eternal that's waiting for you and for me. Isaiah 26 in verse three. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Listen, you cannot listen to the 10 spies negative news network and have a life of peace and a life of joy. You can't do it. You cannot listen to constant negative news and have peace. You've got to keep your mind on him. Stayed focused on God. Stayed focused on his promises. Staying focused on what, who God says you are. Now listen, it's much easier to act your way into feelings than it is to feel your way into acting. You just need to do it because the Bible says it. All right? That's why we do it. The Bible says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Right? So the fifth verse, Let your moderation be known to all men because the Lord is at hand. He's talking here about discipline skills, right? About leading yourself, right? Uh, You have to be able to tell yourself no. Got that? You need to be able to tell yourself no, right? And you have to have discipline skills. You need to be able to even encourage yourself. It's great when somebody else encourages you. But you need to be able to encourage yourself. The Bible tells David, he's coming back with his men and they they come to their hometown of Ziglag, And they come over the hill and there's this ominous sight. This pillar's a smoke. The city's been burned with fire. Their families have been stolen. All their goods have been stolen. And the Bible tells us that they, they wept, David's 600 men, until they had no more strength to weep. And then they said, Let's stone David. How many of you know when things are bad, it's not a good time to make decisions. They wanted to blame somebody, so they're going to blame David. But the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself. You need to be able to encourage yourself. You need to be able to say no to yourself. All right. The Bible says that a lazy man doesn't roast what he takes in hunting, but diligence or discipline is a man's precious possession. Got that? Diligence is your precious possession. If you've ever been in an airplane, the steward or stewardess gets up front and they tell you, you know, in case of an emergency, the mask is going to fall down in front of you. And this is what they'll tell you. It says, first, put the mask on yourself and then help somebody that's with you, right? You need to take care of yourself first, right? And then you can take care of somebody else. The apostle Paul tells the leaders of the church of Ephesus, take heed to yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. you got to be able to say no to yourself, right? An undisciplined leader is not followable. Discipline is the gift that you give yourself. I want to say that again. Discipline is the gift you give yourself. The Bible says it is your precious possession, right? And by the way, it is a decision. It's not a feeling. It's a decision and not a feeling. Then Paul mentions in the sixth verse, he mentions prayer skills. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, with supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He says, everything by prayer. Every one of us need a supply from heaven. We need to supply a wisdom of patience, of vision, of peace, of joy. Right? We've got to be in constant connection with God. Swift Wigglesworth, who's really one of my heroes, uh, he had revival on every single continent. And he was asked about prayer. And he says, Smith, do you spend hours and hours in prayer? And this was his response. He said, I seldom pray for a half an hour. But I seldom have a half hour go by that I don't pray. So what was he saying? He's saying, I am living in constant communion and fellowship with God. You know, it's in Genesis 5. It says that Enoch walked with God. Genesis 6 says that Noah walked with God. You see, our relationship with God is not supposed to be just a 30-minute deal that we have every day or a 10-minute deal or whatever your time frame is. All right, But we walk with God. Every day, wherever we go, whatever we're doing, um, we're in a covenant relationship with God. I'm in a covenant relationship with Jeannie. You know, during the day, I often just call her up. Hey babe, what's happening? Hey babe, let's do this. Hey babe, let's do that. Hey, what are you doing? Why? Because I'm doing life with her, right? We're in a covenant relationship. We're in a covenant relationship with God. And it shouldn't be just when you're gonna have a meal and you pray or just a couple minutes at some point in the day, we are to walk with God. And I have people say, well, God never talks to me. Well, here's the deal. It's like your cell phone, right? If you have it off, you're going to think you get no messages, right? But the truth is God's talking to every one of us every day, and he wants to be involved in every single aspect of our life, right? And we call that prayer. So, so we need to make sure that our switch is on, all right? that we are walking with God, and it's just not a few minutes every day. It's our life. The Bible says your life is hid with Christ in God. In the, in the eighth verse, we find him talking to us about our meditation skills. And he says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So basically he's talking about mental skills or he's talking about meditation skills, all right? What are you going to be thinking about? Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's the direction that you're going to go. Right? So what Paul is saying, he says, you need to have filters. He says, the things that you're going to think about, they need to be true. They need to be noble. They need to be just. They need to be pure. They need to be lovely. They need to be of a good report. They need to be of any virtue or anything praiseworthy. He said, don't just be thinking about every crazy thing that the world is thinking about or every thought that crosses your mind. Right? It's actually attributed to Martin Luther. I don't know if it's true, but the saying goes like this. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair, right? Thoughts are going to come, right? But that doesn't mean you need to receive them. You need to have a filter, right? You you need to say, no, that one does not fit right. Remember, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Again, you cannot be following the 10 spies negative network and have peace and have joy. You can't do it. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. One of the subjects that you'll hear about today is spiritual warfare. Right? And, and it's true that there is spiritual warfare. But people have taken it in a way that the Bible never, never portrays it. Right? Um, several years ago, 20,000 Christians went to Ephesus in the Middle East, right? And they went to Ephesus and they told everybody, now, don't witness to anybody, but we're just going to go and pray. And we are going to pull down Diana, the false god of the Ephesians, right? Now, listen, Paul went there 2,000 years ago and he took care of it. He said, what did he do? He preached the gospel. And the end of it was the temple ultimately was destroyed. Right? Now, he didn't do it by just getting together and praying. He did it by preaching the gospel because the gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation. Right? But if you're just going to say, oh, I'm just going to go over here and I'm just going to pray. Well, no, 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 no. You, you, you need to pray, but you need to go with the gospel. You, you need to be speaking. right? Um, there are people that have, they they literally, they get in an airplane and they fly above a city and they're saying, we're, we're bringing down the strongholds of principalities and powers. That's silly. There's no distance in the spirit, whether you're on the ground or you're 12,000 feet in the air. It doesn't make any difference, right? Real spiritual warfare is what Paul is talking about right here. Now, listen, what he says, the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're not natural right? It's not an Uzi or a nuclear bomb, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Where are these strongholds? Casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Spiritual warfare takes place in between your ears. It's your stinking thinking. That's where spiritual warfare takes place, right? And how do we do it? Well, we take the word of God and we apply the word of God, right? Just one last thought Paul has here. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And he talks about flexibility skills, all right? Uh, My mother's probably been in heaven about five or six years now. But uh, when she was probably in her early 70s, she says, I want you to take me to Mackinac Bridge. And they have a walk across Mackinac Bridge. And we said, sure thing, mom, we'll go. So we take my mom and we're walking across Mackinac Bridge. Let me tell you something about that bridge. It was a pretty windy day. And that's, the farther you get towards the middle, the more that thing is going, ooh, ooh. I mean, it's moving. And you're feeling it moving. All right, and some people are like, ooh, grabbing their stomach and grabbing their head, and they're, they're getting nauseated. All right. But if it didn't move in the wind, that thing would crash. Right? But because it's flexible, all right, it could flow with no matter what the weather was. All right. Now, the same thing really is true. Right? You need to be flexible. Right? You need to have some flex in you. Paul's saying, you know what, there's times I'm in prison. He says, you know what? I keep worshiping God. There's times that I'm all starting churches, I'm worshiping God. There's times when I have a great abundance, and I'm worshiping God. But there's other times when I'm actually hungry. But you know what? I'm still worshiping God. Right? He said, I don't let my outward circumstances dictate what's going on on the inside. Right? He said, I'm, I'm a little flexible. You know, and almost always, no matter where you are, there is an advantage, right? I remember in in 1992, Bernie, you remember this. Uh, We were were in a building over on 44th Street. It was a metal pole barn. And uh, I used to say that it was like snot green. It was really ugly, right? And we were doing a Saturday night service, four Sunday morning services, And two Sunday night services, not preaching all of them. And and Bernie said to me, I just wish we were in the other building, the new building, because we were starting to build the, the original sanctuary. And I says, you know, part of me does too. But you know what? The easiest time for us to raise money for this building is before we get in it. Because once you get in it, it's like when somebody wants to buy a car. They'll sacrifice till they get it. And then they're happy with it for two weeks, and then they forget about it. You know, my, my classic story is that uh, Roberts was building the city of faith, 77 stories, raising money to build the city of faith. They, ded- they got seven floors done, and they dedicated the seven floors. And 90% of all the money instantly dried up, and they ended up losing the whole thing. Right? So I said to Bernie, I said, you know what? I wish we were in that new building. Pardon me. But you know what? I'm kind of glad that we're still where we are because people still see the need and they're still sowing into the need. Right? There was an advantage to where we were. Now, was I looking for more? Yeah, I was looking for more. Right. So in, in one sense, we just cannot get to the point where we're saying it's got to be like this or it's got to be like that. If, 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 it's not, if, I'm, if it's not going exactly the way I want it to go, praise the Lord, I'm worshiping God. If it's going better than I want it to go, praise the Lord, I'm worshiping God. We've got to stay that way. All right. Now he said, I'm content. Now, not that you're content as far as your relationship with God goes. You know, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who keep want more of God. The one place you can be a glutton is when it comes to the kingdom. When it comes to your relationship with God, you know what? We never get content. We want to keep on growing. We want to keep on improving. Jeannie and I have been married for 47 years. Is that right? Yeah, 47. And we're going to, in August, it's going to be 48. But you know what? I hope our marriage next year is better than it's ever been. And not only do I just hope so, we're going to read some books on marriage, and we're going to work on making our marriage better than it's ever been. Right? Now, so when he's talking about being content, what he's saying is this. No matter what is happening in your life, keep worshiping. Because we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For those things that we see and the things we feel, they're temporary. All right? But the things that cannot be seen, the spiritual things, they are eternal. Eternal. Say, would you bow your heads for just a moment? And if you're online, would you bow your head? In a, in a group of this size, literally there are people in all kinds of spiritual conditions. There is there's, there's people that are here. You are on fire for God. Some of you, you've lived for God for decades. But there's other people that at one point you had given your life to the Lord, but really you've drifted away. Somebody, something, something, got in between you and God like a wedge and you kind of drifted away, never intended to, but it happened. And you look at your life today and you say, man, I am not where I need to be with God. Now I'm a Christian, but I'm away from the Lord, really. We're going to pray in just a moment and you're going to come back and you're going to reconnect with God. But there's people that you're here today because I've talked to people and I'll say, are you a Christian?" And this is a typical response. I hope I am. I'm trying to be. I'll find out when I die, if I made it. But the Bible says, we've written these things to you that you may know. Not hope, not find out when you die, that you may know that you have everlasting life. See, if you don't know that you're right with God, that you're forgiven, that you're on your way to heaven, you're not where you should be with God. The Bible says you need to know. And if you're in that condition, we're going to pray a prayer. And again, if you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. You say, how can you know that? Because the Bible says, whosoever, that's you, will call on the name of the Lord. That's what we're going to do, the way the Bible chose us to. And this is his promise, will be saved. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head, to pray this prayer out loud, to make these words your own. Just say, oh God. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again, victorious over death, over sin, and over the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my King and my Lord, and I'm going to live for him. And I thank you that you have heard my prayer, that my past is gone, and I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.